रामकथा रसवाहिने चैप्टर सेवन विनिंग सीता Meanwhile, a young student disciple ran in with a bundle of palm leaf scripts and placed it in the hands of Vishwamitra. He turned over a few leaves and passed it on to a reverend old hermit sitting by his side. The master asked the old man to read it aloud so that all might hear. He read that Emperor Janaka of Mithila had resolved to perform a celebrated yajna. expressive of the highest glory of righteousness and that he was praying Vishwamitra to give him joy by his gracious presence with his disciples when they heard this all exclaimed shubham shubham may it attain fulfillment vishwamitra said sams now that we can travel through the forests free from fear of demonic gangs I have decided to start on the journey to Mithila with all the residents of the ashram tomorrow itself. When he heard this, Rama said, "Master, it is really a source of delight. Since there is nothing more that you need us for, we shall return to Ayodhya if you permit us to do so. Please allow us to leave." At this Vishwamitra said, "I have given word to Dasharatha for a few more things i have to keep these words too i have promised him that i would myself bring you back to him and so you cannot return without me a unique yajna is taking place in mithila city there is not enough time for me to take you to ayodhya and then reach mithila on the day the yajna begins if you to accompany me to mithila you can witness the yajna and proceed to ayodhya with me from there itself Hearing these words which had no trace of hesitation or doubt Rama too answered decisively without weighing pros and cons Master since my chief vow is obedience of the orders of my father I have to submit a prayer before you Vishwamitra asked Come tell me what is the prayer Rama replied My father directed me to guard the yajna of Vishwamitra from defilement and sacrilege and make the great sage happy he asked us to return victorious he has not directed us to attend yajnas elsewhere should i not receive special permission from my father before moving on to mithila at this vishwamitra said rama dasharatha did not stop with that only no he said go and obey all that the sage commands you to do do not transgress his command by even the width of a grain he told me master you must yourself assume full responsibility for my children you must yourself bring them back to me you have listened to what he said when we left ayodhya so follow my word now come with me to mithila and from there we shall go to ayodhya I and you and all my disciples Rama realized the truth that was inherent in this plan and he nodded in agreement saying we shall do as you desire instructions went forth that everyone must get ready before daybreak for the journey to Mithila 
Vishwamitra rose early and led the boys to the river for ablutions. He was thrilled at the chance of telling them of the hardships he encountered from the demons whenever he attempted to celebrate Yajnas in the past. He related to them how all his countermeasures failed to achieve their object. He expressed his gratitude for the destruction of the demons which had ensured safety for the hermitage as well as the surrounding regions. He described how the people were now happy, relieved of fear and have unalloyed peace and joy. The place was silent, calm, comforting. Sitting on the soft sands, the sage Vishwamitra was relating the special features and significance of the Yajna contemplated by Emperor Janaka to the two brothers he had drawn close to him. During the description, he referred to a precious bow that Janaka had in his possession, a bow that was uniquely potent and shone with rare splendor. He declared that they must not miss seeing it. At this, Rama asked how the bow happened to reach Janaka and Vishwamitra answered, Listen, son. Years ago, the emperor of Mithila named Devaratha celebrated a great yajna, the like of which no mortal could dare to perform. A yajna which can confer vast spiritual benefits. A yajna which pleased the gods so highly that they gifted him this divine bow as a mark of appreciation. It is the bow of Shiva. It is being worshipped with due rites by Janaka every day. He offers flowers and sandal paste and waves camphor flame and incense in its honor. He places eatables and fruits before the divine presence in the bow in reverential homage. The bow is so loaded with divinity that no one can raise it and string it, be he God, demon, angel or spirit. Many princes who attempted to string it have met with disgraceful disappointment. Rama, you are worthy heroes. You can examine it. During this coming yajna, the bow will most probably be on show. So, this is a good chance, certainly. Vishwamitra went on describing the wonderful potency of the bow. Lakshmana turned his eyes as if searching for the direction in which Mithila was. Meanwhile, Rama said with delight, Certainly, we must see it. We shall come with you tomorrow. Hearing this, Vishwamitra was elated. Darkness fell and everyone rose and moved towards Siddhashram. Vishwamitra called together the residents of the ashram and ordered that they should get ready to leave for Mithila as soon as the hour of dawn struck. Then some of them asked, Master, how can the routine of the ashram be observed without interruption if there is none left here? The sage replied, If each one carries on his duties wherever he is, that itself is the proper observance of the ashram routine. There is no special routine for the ashram apart from the ashramites. Those who seek ashraya, support, make up the ashram. 
without the ashritas dependence there can be no ashram when the ashritas are with me why worry about the ashram and the routine the disciples are those to be cared for those that have to observe the disciplines moreover since the place has now become free from the fear of demons the ashram cannot come to harm the creator of all is our ashram refuge and when we depend on him he will foster all vishwamitra spoke in this rather unfamiliar strain and continued take with you the things needed for your daily rites as well as all the tools and vessels belonging to the ashram there is no need to leave anything here some novitiates queried master after what interval of time do we return to this place if you tell us that we can select as many articles as will suffice for that period of absence why burden ourselves with more than what is essential vishwamitra replied time is no servant of the body the body is a servant of time therefore one can never say when will i come here again or no i doubt when they heard this the hearts of all the residents suffered a shock the clothes vessels and tools they held in their hands slipped and fell on the ground they could not find words to speak in reply they could not protest nor could they master courage to question the master so they bundled up kusa grass sacred sticks for the sacrificial fire ceremonial ladles and vessels as much as they could carry the meaning of vishwamitra's words was a mystery and so each of them interpreted them in his own way the night rolled by and dawn broke everyone was ready when the doors were being closed and bolted behind them vishwamitra said do not fasten the doors leave them open this is not ours anyone who comes can enter this ashram must welcome all who arrive at all times this day the bond between us and this ashram has snapped grow in happiness hereafter ye patron gods of this holy area i have achieved success in my endeavor accept my grateful appreciation in return you will no more be troubled by demon hordes you can now live in peace with ample progeny prosperous and happy i am going out of the siddhartham renouncing it i have resolved to take residence in the region of the himalayas lying north of the sacred ganga river vishwamitra prostrated on the ground as a mark of respect for the forest deities then he started on his journey with rama and lakshmana and the senior monks of the ashram the residents of the hermitage realized that their place was where vishwamitra was and not the forest or huts where they had lived so long they felt that the himalayan region was equally suitable for them so they too offered gratitude and reverence to the forest deities and the grass thatched dwellings and walked on behind the sage 
while they were thus proceeding in the northernly direction they saw behind them following their trail thousands of deer peacocks birds and beasts of the jungle running with raised tails in eager haste of yearning Vishwamitra stopped and turning towards them he said Oh denizens of the jungle the place to which i am going are not congenial for your style of living for your safety and security this forest is your natural habitat do not be sad at the separation do not follow us remain here itself god will grant you peace and joy he took leave of them too before he resumed the journey the day's journey brought them to the bank of the sona river they had purpose to spend the night at that place itself they took their bath in the river and finished the evening ablutions then they gathered around the master eager to listen to his tales rama asked revered sir this region appears rich and prosperous what is its name and history i would like to know vishwamitra replied rama brahma had a son through sheer will he was named kasu he was a great ascetic steadfast and strict in vows heroic in spiritual adventure learned in the science of morals he wedded the daughter of the noble ruler of vidarpa the two lived in the awareness and practice of the four ends of human life righteousness prosperity affection and liberation they had four sons kusamba kusanabha adurtharajaka and vasu each one equal to the father in virtue and highly evolved in righteousness integrity and other excellences of the warrior caste kasu divided the world into four parts and assigned one to each of them directing them thus sons rule over the part assigned to each of you and prosper thereafter they entered upon their new duties and carried out their father's command each of them started constructing a capital city for the kingdom kusamba built kausambi kusanaba built mahodaya adhurtarajaka built dharmaranya and vasu built girivraja rama this area is part of the kingdom of vasu we have all around us five hills and so the city is called girivraja collection of hills this auspicious sona river is also known as sumagathi so that this region is named magadha the magadhi flows from east to west here like a jasmine garland placed among the mountain valleys the majesty of vasu has blessed the land on both banks of this river to be evergreen and plentiful the second son kusanaba was well established in dharma he was a pillar of righteousness he had a number of daughters but no son he taught them right conduct and behavior according to the rules and discipline laid down in the scriptures he emphasized that forbearance is the grandest gift one can give another 
it is the most prolific fruit bearing yajna the most beneficial way of being honest and the root of all right thought and action he gave them this lesson even from the days when they were fed at the mother's breast they were later given in marriage all of them to the ruler of kampilya city brahmadatta by name when they left for that city his house became empty and barren alas he moaned this house which was so bright and resonant with wit and laughter has today become dark and dumb dull and deep in gloom daughters however many you may have have to leave the parental home rendering it trap and dreary if only i had a son this calamity would not have overpowered me thus he entertained the longing for a son just then his father kasa happened to visit him and he inquired the reason why he looked so sad and full of concern the son laid bare before him his mind and its anxieties kasu chided him for becoming so worried for this particular reason he blessed him that he get a son soon and has he blessed so it happened the son born was named gadi he grew up a very devoted virtuous prince since he was born in the lineage of kasu he was known as kausika his sisters lost their husbands after some time and as dutiful wives they immolated themselves and gained heaven they were born on the himalayas as sacred rivers which joined together to form the famous kausiki river kausika was attached very much to the eldest of the sisters satyavati by name and so he took residence on the bank of this river and established himself at siddhashram and celebrated the yajna he had resolved upon with ceremonial rectitude rama through your immeasurable heroism the yajna i had resolved upon has come to its successful conclusion it has borne fruit my rigorous vow has been fulfilled at this the monks who had gathered around the sage exclaimed oh how wonderful really we are fortunate that we could listen to the story of the hoary ancestors of our master oh what a great source of joy the story is the kasa line is indeed consecrated those born in it are equal to brahma himself in sanctity how lucky we are that we have this singular chance to serve the one visible embodiment of all that the land represents the sage vishwamitra this chance must be the fruit of merit accumulated through many lives in the past vishwamitra interrupted them and said i would not have dwelt on all this but rama your question prompted me to reply i do not give details regarding this body and its antecedents it is already night let us rest delay in going to sleep might slacken the speed of our journey tomorrow rama see the moon is peeping through the branches of yonder tree to catch a glimpse of you it sends down cool rays to refresh the earth that has suffered long the hot rays of the sun that night everyone was ruminating over the tales 
of the forefathers of the master. They awoke from sleep pretty early and finished the morning ablutions. They performed the daily rituals too and got ready in time to continue the journey. They came near Vishwamitra and fell at his feet. Then they stood one behind the other on one side, awaiting orders. Rama said, Master, the river Sona is not deep at this place. The water is clear. We can wade across. No boat is needed. Vishwamitra replied, Son, you are strange to this place and so you do not know the exact place where we can wade across. I shall go first. You will follow me. The sage walked into the river bed and moved on. Everyone had his bundle slung on his shoulder. The pace was slow and it was noon when they reached the river Janvi. The first intimation they had about the river was the sweet cuckoo, notes of swans, parrots and other birds on the bank. Every heart was filled with delight at the entrancing beauty of the scene. They bathed in the pure pellucid stream and aware of the hallowed story of the river, they offered oblations to departed ancestors and gods. They lit the sacred fire on the bank and performed ritual sacrifices enjoined by the Shastras. Then they collected edible fruits from the tree around and after assuaging hunger with them, they drank the nectarine water of the Janvi to slake their thirst. Rama and Lakshmana walked towards the tree under whose shade Vishwamitra was reclining and sat beside him reverentially. Rama asked him, Master, why is it that the Ganga flows has three streams in the three worlds? How does the Ganga reach the ocean which is the lord of every stream and river throughout the world? Please tell me and make me glad. Vishwamitra said, Son, the Himalayan range is the basis of all this world. It is the home for all animals and all herbs. It has two daughters, Ganga and Uma. Ganga is the elder of the two. Both these are being adored by the entire world. The gods asked that Ganga be given to them so that they might have prosperity. So, Himavan, the deity of the Himalayas, gifted Ganga to the gods in order to secure their blessings and benefit the three worlds. The younger daughter, Uma, entered upon a life of extreme ascetism. She immersed herself in hard spiritual discipline, prompted by supreme detachment from everything worldly. So, Himawan sought to settle her in the world as a wife. In spite of strenuous endeavor, he could not succeed in this for long. At last, he persuaded Rudra to agree to wed her. Thus, she too became entitled to the adoration of the three worlds. The Ganga you see here is the Ganga that the gods took with them and that has come down to earth and has three steps, one in heaven, one on earth and another subterranean. The sage Vishwamitra was journeying towards the city of Mithila with Rama and Lakshmana as well as a few of his disciples regaling them throughout the day 
and far into the night with picturesque descriptions of his own previous history the historical events connected with the places through which they passed and the annals of the various dynasties which ruled over the regions which they crossed that evening he was seated on the sands of the bed of the ganga after the ablutions and rites rama reminded him that they will be happy to know about the origin of that holy stream vishwamitra responded and said ramachandra your ancestors are responsible for ganga coming down on earth as a result of their good deeds the peoples of the earth are sanctifying themselves bathing in the sacred waters and performing morning and evening ceremonial rites and ablutions therein the ganga is the supreme stream of divine purity the nectarine waters can confer immortality she was dwelling in the mated locks of shiva's head for that reason she is most auspicious she grants all that is beneficial hearing vishwamitra extol the river in such superlative terms ramachandra said how did my ancestors manage to lead down to earth a river with such amazing attributes of power and purity if you can describe to us the story we can derive great joy therefrom when vishwamitra heard this request presented with such humility he said rama listen in ancient times ayodhya was ruled by the emperor named sagara he was a righteous ruler and a valiant hero fascinated by his qualities of head and heart the king of vidarbha gave him his beloved daughter kesini in marriage she too was a strict follower of dharma she never wavered from the path of truth but since even after the lapse of many years they were not blessed with progeny sagara married the charming daughter of arishtanevi named sumathi as his second wife with the concurrence of kesini she too proved barren and so the king decided to spend the rest of his life in ascetism he went to the bank of a stream by the side of which the sage brugu was having his hermitage and with his two wives he plunged into the most severe disciplines of the anchorites a long time elapsed thus one day at break of dawn the sage brugu staunch upholder of truth appeared before him and said o king end this tormenting of the body this ascetism you will earn unparalleled renown in this world before long you will be endowed with the bliss of having a son born unto you as soon as these words of compassion and grace fell on his ear sagara opened his eyes and saw the sage standing before him immediately he fell at his feet and signed to the wives too to do likewise he prayed that the sage may bless them directly the senior queen kesini bowed her head low and fell at his feet with many an adultery hymn emerging from her lips brugu asked her mother do you desire a single son so that the thread of continuity be not broken or do you desire a large number of sons who will be endowed with enormous physical valor 
and vast renown. She replied that a single son will satisfy her and prayed that her wish may be gratified. Bhrugu accepted her request and blessed her likewise. When the second queen Sumathi prostrated before him, he asked her the same question. She craved for strong, brave, celebrated sons in plenty and so the sage granted that desire and blessed that it be fulfilled. Elated by the blessings of the sage, Sagara returned to his capital city, accompanied by his wives. They fixed their minds on the boons they received and spent their time happily. Within a few months, both queens conceived and awaited the happy event. When the nine months had passed, Kesini delivered a son and Sumati gave birth to many. As the days sped by, the sons romped about and played excitedly with children of the same age and later started moving out beyond the palace in search of companions and for the sake of games. The son of Kesini, Ashwamanja by name, took them to the sands of the Sarayu river. He used to take delight in throwing the children into the river and laughed outright in glee when the child was drowned. Soon he earned an infamous reputation as the worst criminal in the kingdom. When they emerged out of their teens, Sagara selected suitable royal brides for each of them and had the marriages celebrated. Ashwamanja continued his wickedness, however, and the residents of Ayodhya had heart-rendering grief as a result of his incorrigible viciousness. One day, they approached Sagara and amidst loud wailing, represented to him the atrocious acts of his eldest son. At this, the king ordered that Ashwamanja should immediately leave the city and that he must be exiled into the forests. Ashwamanja had a son born to him by them, so he had to leave behind his wife and son besides his parents. Years passed. Ashwamanja's son, Amshumantha, grew up, one renowned throughout the world as lovable, virtuous and valiant. Once Sagara decided on the performance of the great Ashwamedha, horse sacrifice, and fixed an auspicious moment for starting the rites. While Vishwamitra was at this point in his narration, Rama put in a question. Master, was the horse sacrifice performed in Ayodhya, or did he choose some holy river bank for the purpose? Vishwamitra smiled and replied, Rama, I am realizing how earnest you are about sacrifices and how reverent your attitude towards sages is. I shall describe it in detail as you desire. Listen, there is a holy range facing the Himalayas from a distance called the Vindhya range. The region in between is sacred for all yajnas and yagas. The horse sacrifice was done in that region. Experts in the recitation of Vedic hymns gathered there 
and the mountains joy the unique ceremonial just then the beautifully caparisoned horse was led in and worshiped later it was left to roam where it willed in order to overcome and defeat any opposition to its free movement amshumanta followed its footsteps with his army fully equipped to meet all contingencies after an unopposed round of entire country the horse was led back the exact moment when the sacrifice had to be done in orthodox vedic style approached the people went to bring the animal in but the horse was nowhere to be seen it is laid down that the loss of the sacrificial animal and its non availability at the auspicious moment bodes ill for the organizers of the yajna so sagara was naturally upset he sent the numerous sons of his second wife armed and equipped to discover the horse and bring it back to the sacrificial altar they sought the help of the gods and the demons and searched everywhere and even dug the earth up to see whether the horse was kept hidden below by the captors but they had to return and report that their mission had failed sagara was enraged at this of what avail is this numerous progeny if you announce to me only your incompetence why stand before me with faces darkened with disgrace go and do not come to me until you recover the horse the sons reacted sharply to these angry words they went back into the world determined to leave no spot unexamined mountains hills lakes rivers caves towns and villages forests and deserts why lengthen the list they looked closely at every yard every foot on the ground while they were proceeding thus they found in one place a hermit deeply immersed in dhyana the horse was there near him calmly nibbling grass they were overcome by delight when they saw the horse and by anger when their eyes fell on the hermit they were tossed between two conflicting emotions they lost their sanity as a result of the irrepressible feelings their reason failed their hearts were petrified they shouted in the ear of the hermit villainous brute you have stolen our horse and hidden it in your backyard the sage kapila slowly opened his eyes and looked around the sons of sagara stood around him and poured abuses on his head some even got ready to give him a heavy thrashing kapila saw that words and arguments were futile weapons to meet those bullies he decided that he must deal with them differently he burned them into ash merely by casting his eye on them greatly distressed at the inordinate delay caused by their failure to return sagara was much agitated how could he stop the sacrifice that he had half gone through how could he continue and finish it 
seeing his plight, the grandson, Amshumanta fell at his grandfather's feet and offered to search for the horse and his uncles and bring news about them if only he was sent on that mission. Sagara blessed him and sent him on that errand. Amshumanta was at his job day and night. At last, he was rewarded by success. He saw signs of his uncles having been reduced into a heap of ashes. He was anxious to perform obsequies for the departed souls, but he could not see any well, tank, lake or stream. This was essential for depositing the funeral offerings. Heavily laden with sorrow, he moved some distance forward. A reverend old man came across his path and told him, Do not allow grief to overcome you, dear son. Your uncles were reduced to ashes by sage Kapila with the welfare of the world also in view. Do not be content to offer the ritual obligations in mundane waters. Get the holy water of the celestial Ganga. Bring the Ganga down to earth and let the sacred waters flow over the ashes. Then the mains will be saved. But first, take the horse along with you and perform the sacrifice unto its glorious conclusion. Thereafter, you can think of ways and means to bring the heavenly Ganga to earth. Amshumanta fell at the feet of the hermit and hurried to his grandfather where the Ajna was being held up for want of the consecrated animal. Sagara was awaiting its arrival with sleepless anxiety both night and day and so when the horse was brought he and the Ritviks were filled with delight. Amshumanta felt that it would not be proper to announce during the auspicious festival that his uncles had an untimely death through the sage's curse. So he allowed the valedictory rite to come to an end. The priests and guests were given their share of votive gifts. Then Amshumanta gave a detailed account of what happened to the uncles and exhorted his grandfather to bring the heavenly river of unique sanctity down to the place where the ashes were lying. Sagara was delighted at the suggestion. He engaged himself in many ascetic disciplines and ritual ceremonies which, according to the advice of elders, would induce Ganga to give him the boon he wanted. But he could not succeed. He waned in health day by day as a result of grief at the loss of his sons and the failure of his attempt to ensure a bright future for them. At last, he cast off his body, a disappointed man. Rama, the ministers then crowned Amshumanta after consulting the will of the people. He ruled over the kingdom without the slightest error or fault, for he was strong in morality and spiritual excellence. The people were fostered as if they were children born from his own loins. When old age crept on him, he offered the throne to Dilipa, his son, and proceeded to the Himalayas for the ascetic disciplines he wanted to impose on himself. His aim was not only self-realization. He sought to bring down the Ganga 
for the sake of salvation of the departed uncles. But he too had to give up his body without fulfilling the desire. Dilipa was also moved by the same wish, for he knew how deeply his father and grandfather had longed for the consummation bringing the Ganga down on earth. He tried various means. He performed many abstruse yajnas on the advice of sages. Pangs of sorrow that he could not fulfill the family ideal invaded him and he became chronically ill. Seeing that physical strength and mental stamina were declining, he placed his son Bhagiratha on the throne. He entrusted to him the mission that was beyond his grasp, namely, bringing the Ganga down. Soon after, Dilipa too left the earth. Bhagiratha, bright with spiritual splendor, vowed that he must succeed in the task allotted to him by his father. Though he ruled the kingdom very satisfactorily, he was sad that he had no children to maintain the line. This, as well as the supreme task of getting the Ganga, forced him to hand the reins of government to the ministers and retire into the silence of the famous Gokarnakshetra. He stood there practicing austere penance like bearing the heat of the sun and taking food only once a month. At last, appreciating his austerity, God appeared before him and said, Son Bhagiratha, ask any boon you wish for, it shall be granted. Bhagiratha had the vision of the one with the brilliance of a thousand suns. He fell prostrate, overwhelmed with gratitude and devotion. He prayed, Lord, cause the celestial Ganga to flow on earth so that my great-grandfathers might be saved from perdition and be restored to heaven and favor me with children so that the Ikshwaku royal line might not be rendered extinct with me as its last representative. May the dynasty continue and flourish. He held fast the feet of the Lord and submitted his supplication. The Lord replied, Son, the first of your wishes is very hard to fulfill. Nevertheless, I shall grant you that one. The boon for the royal line? Yes, you will have a noble son and your dynasty will continue and flourish. Arise. At this Bhagiratha rose and the Lord continued. Bhagiratha, Ganga is swollen and swift. When it falls from heaven, the earth will not be able to bear the impact. So, as ruler of the earth, you have to ponder over the problem and discover means by which dire disaster can be avoided. When the Ganga descends upon the earth, the effect will be calamitous. So, the river must be made to fall first on the head of Shiva. From there, the waters may be led on to earth with lessened impact. This is the best course from the point of view of the inhabitants of the earth. Consider this well. After saying this, the Lord withdrew. From thence, Bhagiratha began austerities to propitiate Shiva and at last, he succeeded in winning his favor and his consent to receive Ganga direct on his head when it descends from heaven. And so it happened 
that the Ganga fell on Shiva and flowed down from his head onto the earth in seven distinct streams. Khladini, Nalini and Pavani flowed east. Subikshu, Sita and Sindhu flowed west. And the seventh stream followed the footsteps of Bhagiratha to where he led namely the place where the ashes of his great-grandfathers lay in heaps awaiting rescue from hell. It flowed along the route that Bhagiratha took and all along the route men benefited from the sacred stream and sanctified themselves. They were released from the effects of the sins by the cleansing influence of the celestial Ganga. The great-grandfathers too were redeemed by the performance of obsequies on the bank of the thrice holy stream and with its waters. Since Bhagiratha brought the Ganga to earth, the river got the name Bhagirathi. After the ceremonies for the mains were over, Bhagiratha returned to Ayodhya, happy that he could fulfill through divine grace the keenest wishes of his father and grandfather. He ruled over the empire for many years, receiving the spontaneous homage of his contented subjects. At last, he too left the body. When Vishwamitra narrated the story of Rama's forefathers thus, Rama and Lakshmana were all attention. They were enraptured with the incidents. But the sage said it was already midnight and they could go to bed and sleep. So, they prostrated before the preceptor and laid themselves on the thick sands of the river itself. Rama and Lakshmana could not sleep. They reclined on the sands only in obedience to the order of their preceptor, not because they needed rest. They lay picturing to themselves the wonderful story of the descent of Ganga from heaven to earth, till they found that morning had arrived. There they performed the ablutions and morning rituals in the river and prepared soon for the journey ahead. As soon as some teenage disciples announced that the ferry boat was ready, all moved towards it and took their seats and crossed the holy river. They reached the northern bank and started on the further stages of their journey, admiring the heartening forest scenery through which they passed. When they had covered some distance, they came upon a vast city full of beautiful buildings. Rama turned to Vishwamitra and asked him, Master, we are seeing from here in this exquisite forest a vast city. To what kingdom does it belong? The sage replied, Rama, it appears to be near, but in fact it will take quite some time for us to reach it. Perhaps we may arrive there in the evening hours. I shall tell you the story of the city's origin and fortunes when we actually reach it. Meanwhile, let us proceed. Rama heard these words, which the sage spoke with a twinkle in the eye and a smile on the lips. He grasped the meaning of his directive and walked on without a word in reply. When they descended into the valley, there was no sign of any city or human habitation, but on rising to the heights, the city could be seen very near. Moving forward like this, they found that though evening drew near, they could not reach the city. As Vishwamitra had already indicated, the city was still far away. 
As evening fell, they halted, and after bath, they performed evening rituals as laid down in the shastras. While resting, Rama returned to the question he had already asked. Master, will you kindly tell us about the city? At this, Vishwamitra said, Rama, I too was just now thinking about that matter. Though I know that you are aware of the working of every mind, still, the wheel of Maya, taking the appearance as real, hides the fact and precipitates men into misleading tracks. All cannot be masters of the mind. When persons like me find it impossible to keep it under control, there is no need to dilate on the fate of ordinary men. The very moment the thought flashes in my mind that you had forgotten to ask about the story of the city, you questioned me about it. No further proof is wanted to show that you are the all-knowing Rama.